Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening from. Welcome back to the Health and Mind podcast. I'm Dinkar Nayar. And I'm Mohamed Roshan. And today we're joined by our Welfare and Equity speaker from Unboxed, Mr. Ali. Nice to be here, guys. So, Mr. Ali, could you please tell us about yourself? Well, um, I'm full-time faculty at the American University of Sharjah. I am a co-founder of Mental Health AE, um, initiative that we launched about three and a half years ago now. Um, and other than that, I do a lot of consulting and advisory for startups. Mental Health AE, how did that come to you? How did that concept speak to you? Um, it's an interesting story. So I teach in business, strategy, entrepreneurship, and innovation, these areas. Um, a student of mine at the time who was finance and management um, came to me, actually in this very room, by the way, it's interesting enough, in this very room, and we were sitting working on something, and she came to me, she goes, one of my friends is struggling with something. In my head, I'm like, just Google it. <laughs> What's the big deal? Yeah. Just Google yeah. it. She was like, I can't find anything. I'm like, how's that possible? Give me your laptop. And I started looking, and I realized there wasn't. And remember, this is um, three and a half, four years ago. It's pre-COVID, right? So I wasn't able to find anything. And I'm like, something's wrong. And, you know, we learned from basic economics. We learned supply and demand. So I'm like, okay, if there's no supply of, you know, mental health and wellness type of places there must be not enough demand so the problem is small but the academic side of my brain kicked in and I'm like wait let me start looking so I spent two weeks deep dive into data found nothing in the UAE found near nothing for Middle East but then Europe and the US and other countries and Australia around the world they had significant amounts of data and I'm like wait a second are you telling me 20-25% of people are struggling with something and nobody's talking about it what the hell's going on so then <clears throat> once you peel away the layers you realize that it's a huge problem but due to the, the the cultural and social stigma nobody wants to talk about it so about two weeks later i think this was in july i i sent a message to latifa my co-founder with a text that said mentalhealth.ae she opened the link and she goes ali something wrong there's nothing here i'm like exactly this is our website, and we're going to put stuff over here. And that's literally how we started. Uh, was there a specific reason you chose Ms. Latifa for this project? Well, we were already working on some other things, and it, the conversation is, you know, what started with her. So I said, you want in? She goes, definitely. So we're like, okay, let's start. So it was a social initiative. It was never designed to make, a, make money. Um, and we really didn't know what we were doing. We kind of still don't know what we're doing. So the, the premise or the idea behind it essentially was that, hey, let's offer services or information or whatever we can do, because there's not much out there to begin with, and let's try to help in whatever way we can. Fast forward these years, we are now um, a very successful podcast series. We've pivoted into that. Um, very entertaining, I must Thank you, thank you. 30, 40 episodes there. Yeah. <clears throat> we have our meetup page. We are just a tad under a hundred meetup events that we've already done there. Um, a few thousand following on the Insta. You know, this is not the. There's no need click, to be humble. There's no. There's no. There's no, there's no <laughs> we're not a clickbait <laughs> channel, so we don't get. We don't get tens of thousands of followers. We got. We got good organic followers, um, and that's kind of it. So we listen to what the people want, and then what we have the capacity to do, and then we connect the dots. 
But ultimately, if I was to say what our mission and vision and goal and aim out of all of this is essentially to start dialogue and start people talking in their homes about mental health and wellness. And only by having conversations is the stigma going to be reduced. And then people can actually get the help they need. What was it like recording that first episode? You know, was it like navigating a dark room or did you know what you were going to do? Did you have an aim? In- it's interesting. You guys, you guys got here early, so you saw me set up the equipment. We didn't have any of this. And it was never supposed to be a podcast. So what it started with, when we started doing our meetups early days, there were two types of meetups, like a peer support group. We would call it Wellness Wednesday because, you know, the name sounded nice. And then, and then later we introduced something called Tuesday Talks, which actually weren't every Tuesday, but it sounded nice. Even, by the way, now the, the podcast is still called Tuesday Talks. We kept in it. So we were meeting in person. So the premise for Tuesday Talks was that, okay, we, don't, we as a group don't want, Ali, we don't want somebody to come and teach us. We just want somebody to, you know, like talk to us. Somebody who knows a little bit more. Somebody who might know about Tourette's, who might know about anxiety, who might know about whatever. So finding content matter experts, surprisingly, wasn't hard because we were one of the very few resources that were connecting. And my volunteer sign-up list on my Google Docs is in the hundreds now, right? Um, and so I'd be like, hey, would, would you be available on this Tuesday? And we actually tried to do it on yeah. Tuesday. <laughs> to come and give us a talk. And like, yeah, sure, man, I'll come in. And so it was like 5, 10, 15, 25, depending on week to week. People would be, and we'd meet at a park, we'd meet at a nice little quiet cafe type of stuff. And we would have a conversation, that was it. And whoever this person was would share their knowledge, and that was it, and okay. <clears throat> and then COVID hit. Well, what do we do now? Okay, let's go online. Everyone's doing Zoom, everyone's doing teaching and classes on Zoom. We, I was teaching on Zoom at the university, so I was like, okay, you know what, let's put it on Zoom. We put it on Zoom. And then somebody's like, hey, uh, Ali, I, I won't be able to attend. Can you record it? Uh, okay, sure, I'll record it. Oh, Ali, um, uh, would you mind putting it on like YouTube? Okay, I'll put it on YouTube. Hey, Ali, you know what? Um, you guys keep putting all these episodes on here. Would you mind making it into a podcast? Okay, we'll make it into a podcast. Hey, Ali, you know, it's nice to listen to, but we would like visuals also. Can you make it podcast plus video? Okay, we can do that. So, so literally every step, we bought more equipment. We started with the mics, and then we started with, you know, we even have a light kit, and we, we started with just recording on our phones for video, uh, and then we got the nice cameras, and now everything's in 4K. <laughs> oh, wow. And, uh, oh, wow. <laughs> bougie, bougie. You know, We're in 4K. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of it. We never intended to be a podcast, but what's happened is that during COVID, a lot of startups mushroomed in the mental health and wellness space. Like before, you would find two or three apps that were not Middle East based where you could get a therapist or a counselor or a coach. Or now there's like a dozen. So there was no point for us to also step in because that was never our objective. Our objective was information, uh, dialogue, conversation, normalize, you know, and then ultimately end goal of reducing stigma. So we're like, we don't need to become another app. How about we focus on things that we have good traction on and we get great feedback on? So now we are full-blown, pivoted, you know, like friends, pivot, pivot, pivot. we full-blown pivoted into a podcast. You mentioned destigmatizing mental health, and it's become a common theme nowadays to, you know, remove the stigma that's surrounded with mental health. But do you think that due to this destigmatization, it's been overdone, the topic of mental health? 
everything is over and done. The, the world we live in is clickbait. The world we live in is social influencers. You, go, go pick any social influencer, anybody. Go a year back and watch their videos and watch them do the dumb stuff that they're doing. But they're doing it in that moment because it's the in thing. It's the trend. Um, so during COVID, we saw that mental health and wellness became a trend. Yes. Everyone's talking about it. Oh, we must do something about it. Corporates jumped in. We did corporate wellness training workshops also. Um, and then post-COVID, the buzz has started to go away. Yes. You know, And then now all of a sudden, it's like, it's okay, it's okay, man. There's no more COVID. You don't need to be have mental wellness issues. Just get back to work type of attitude has started to kick in. For a lot of places, not all, but for a lot of places. So I think the key thing to understand is that whether or not it's a buzzword of the time or in the moment, there is a huge amount of work that needs to be done. A mindset shift, I think, is the hardest thing to do. You know, because this mindset is ingrained by your parents, 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 parents. And as soon as you challenge it, you're, 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 are you calling my parent a liar? Are you calling me a liar? That's the defense mechanism. So that's not easy to overcome. And especially if it comes from somebody younger, you know? So we know in our parts of the world, you know, the Middle East, the subcontinent, and most parts of the world, actually, not just these, it's very difficult to have a conversation with your parents about mental health and wellness. Yeah. You know, I've at this point had thousands of conversations with, with all sorts of people of all ages, genders, nationalities, languages, you name it. And it's exactly the same story. Everyone is suffering in silence because they are stigmatized and don't talk about it and they assume that they're alone. It's absolutely mind-boggling. It's like, how stupid is everybody? Like, why do you not see it? You know, we're, we're dealing with the you know, population of... Um, I don't remember the most recent numbers, but 17, 18, 19% of the population is diabetic. And we have huge centers and hospitals are advertising and there's campaigns and all of this stuff. 20 to 25% of people are suffering with mental health and wellness issues. Those numbers on average double for university students. Those numbers double, triple, quadruple for specific professions and young working professionals. So it's not a problem of just this big. It's a problem of this big to this big, right? It's huge. But without conversation and without dialogue, we're not moving. What has been the hardest part of preaching your message of like mental health matters, especially in the UAE, in the Middle East? What is the hardest part of it? <clears throat> That's a good question. Um, hmm. The hardest part, I think, has... It's two, two things, I think, in my mind. Two things. First, reach. Yeah, okay. Um, we are a tiny country that is bombarded with marketing and advertising, right? I mean, you have to fight and pay a lot of advertising dollars for my ad or my image or my Insta post to be seen on your feeds, right? So it's very hard to get reach without paying. And we're a social enterprise. We don't have any funding. We're, we're self-funded out of pocket. And we don't have any source of income. We don't sell anything. Um, we've always thought about figuring out something to sell, yeah. but nothing, nothing seems to have clicked. <laughs> well, maybe one day we'll figure that piece out. But because of that, we don't do paid ads. Or I mean, we might do like a 10 dirham boost on an event that's coming up. I mean, what's that 10 dirham going to get me when I've got people paying thousands for the same, same, same eye, eye space, the eye, your eyes that see? So I think reach has been the first one. And the second one is opening conversations outside of 
the circle. So we have people coming into our peer-to-peer support group. They're comfortable to share. It's a safe space that we've created. But when they go back, they're not having conversations at home. They're still afraid. They're still stigmatized. But the solution to that is slow. We know it's slow. So we'll have one conversation, two, three, four. At, At some point, that conversation will start to feel normal enough that you're going to go home and bring it up. You know, another thing that we've, well, these are the two, I think, big things. And in order to kind of mitigate and uh, identify the target market, you know, because I come from a business background, so we always think of target market, how are we going to hit this? The university student is our sweet spot target market. So a lot of the conversations that you listen to, you know, I've got high schoolers and college students and young working adults. So like, let's say 17 to 24, that age bracket, they relate most to our conversations. And these are the type of people I also kind of talk to or the topics I want to talk about. Because, you know, as a as a as a kid in school, your parents aren't really going to listen to you. But once you're in college, it kind of shifts a little bit, you know, from a little bit to a lot of bit. Right. But that shift is important because now when you go home, you're like, listen, I'm a college student. I'm, I'm grown ass adult now. Listen to what I'm telling you. You can explain better. You can communicate better. And for most of these college kids, they're taller than their moms or, or you know, if not taller or equal to their dads. And they're like, hey, bro, listen. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then the parents are more inclined to listen. These same people can champion their younger siblings. Who You can see them struggling. I have so many, so many people, and they're like, Ali, you know, I never connected the dots this way, the way you said it. I've got, I've got a younger sibling that I am like 90% sure is, is dyslexic and struggling in school, but nobody wants to recognize it. So you know what? I decided to take my you know, younger brother, sister for an assessment, and it came back dyslexic. And then I told my parents, sit down. We need to have a conversation. And they're like, what? And like, this. No, no, no. This will go. No. Listen. This is not the end of the world. This is nothing to be ashamed of. This much percentage of the population have an issue. It's not an issue. Why do you want your child to suffer and struggle when there are solutions in place to help them learn in a different way? So they were able to push conversations, not just have them, push them. So I think that's been our saving grace and the sweet spot. I completely agree with your older siblings because I have two older brothers and we had a difficult time during COVID. And, you know, because of that difficult time, they were able to push conversations with my dad, who was like, you know, typical Indian, like, right, because like mental health doesn't really, you know, come up in our society as much. So due to them, you know, being present, I think, you know, in my household has become a more comfortable topic. So I completely agree with that. That's great to hear. I have an older sister as well. And the way that we were raised is like completely different because like you said, when people go to college, they toughen up. So my sister was always, you know, Muslim family. She was like kept in the house most of the time. But you know, when she evolved and she went to college outside in a European country and she came back and she's like, why are you telling that to him? Why are you speaking uh-huh. to him like that? See, they champion the young yeah, ones. Yeah, g- even she's very small. She's yeah. not as tall as them. But <laughs> she, she tells why are you speaking to him like that? Don't speak to him like that. Let him go out. It's fine. He'll come back home. Don't shout at him. So it's like the progression from how she was to not understanding like, okay, how I feel. But now she's able to relate because she's got the courage to talk to, to me about it now and to my parents as well. Agreed, 100%. And this is, like, this is exactly what I was saying. Is This is why we felt that that was the the sweet spot to push on because it has a very impactful ripple effect. 
So it's not just the person who is in college or a young working adult who's starting their life who are struggling. And also keep in mind that the date I told you is the worst for this bracket. The high schoolers who are hitting those board exams and those A-levels and whatever, depending on the school system, then college itself is stressful. Then as a young adult, you're stepping into work and you're new and you don't know what's going on and you're struggling and finances and salaries and expenses and living alone and uh, you know, it, goes, it gets crazy. So this, this age bracket is, is a double-edged sword. It's toughest uh, for struggle. But at the same time, it's most impactful because this is the age you are still ready to open your, you know, your, your mind and listen, and you champion your siblings and other people around you. Good. I think the fact that, you know, board exams and then college life, I don't think students nowadays get much of a break. So I think, especially in my school and our, like, in our friend's circle, there's a lot of burnout. So do you think there's a way around this burnout? What do you think society needs to change to ensure that students get a break? So this is going to be interesting. I'm, I'm a career academic. I graduated from the university you're sitting in right now. I graduated in 2002. I started working here in 2004. I started teaching. Um, so I've been in this university since January of 1999, my whole life, my whole adult life, basically, right? Uh, in academia. So what I'm going to tell you is going to be shocking for a lot of parents. It's just to, it's to relax. Grades are not the end game. It's not the end goal. What are you going to do? Put a plaque on the wall and who's going to look at it? You? That's it? Then what? Grades don't get you a job. Your degree doesn't get you a job. What you learn and put in your head, that gets you the job. The single most important thing you're supposed to be learning at university is not the courses and the material, but you're supposed to be learning how to learn. It is impossible for anybody to teach you everything you need for life, except the one skill, which is to continuously teach yourself and to continuously evolve. It's unfortunate that the world we are in today has set up an archaic educational model that relies on grades as a filtration system. So you guys are from India, right, you mentioned? Yeah. All right, so what's the population right now? You just crossed China a few months ago, wasn't it? I believe it's 1.4 billion, yeah. As soon as you said one plus billion, enough. But what happens when we have huge amounts of population, limited resources, it's a fight. It's, it's got nothing to do with your competence. It's got to do with the number of people that are standing next to you and how many spots are available at a given institution of education. So what do we do? We have to filter. How do we filter? Hmm, let's see. Okay, you know what? Let's filter based on grades. It seems to be the most fair. It's the most inaccurate. You know, you have friends who understand differently, who learn differently, who test differently. Some people have high anxiety and stress and don't perform well. But if you have a two-minute conversation, you're like, wow, how smart are you? How are you able to connect all of this information and apply it and relate it? And then you have students who literally have adopted a strategy. I'm just going to memorize everything just so I can regurgitate and vomit in the exam just to get the grade because apparently the grade is the end game. Now, I'm, what I'm, what I'm, I'm not saying stop studying and don't get the grades because we don't have a different option right now. The option on the table is to get into good universities, you need the grades. But, but, and this is the very, very, very big one, nothing, nothing in life the entirety of your life. Nothing in life is worth sacrificing yourself. Absolutely. Whether that's physically, mentally, spiritually, nothing is worth it. Nothing. You don't get into a top-tier college. Then what? Your life is over? No. Your life is what you make it. 
Your life is what you make it. So there's a lot of miseducation about education. There's about a lot of miseducation of what is the measure of success of one's life. The best job and the highest salary is not a measure of life. A measure of life is happiness. A measure of life is contentment. A measure of life is doing what you love, doing what you have passion for. The number of parents who push their, their, their children to get into majors and, and, and you know, careers that they hate because, no, no, I know better than you. You have to do this. And for a very long time, the answer traditionally was either a doctor or engineer. You know, I, I know a lot of engineers who don't make any money at all. I know finance graduates with Ferraris in three years of graduation. But to each their own. I'm not saying one is better than the other. Do what you love, and you will automatically be very good at it. But need to step away from this race that nobody wanted to be in, but you're being pushed to be in, because the race is illogical and unfair. Absolutely, yeah. So, what about, you've been doing this for a while now, you know, advocating for mental health, starting dialogues for mental health. Has there ever been an incident or a story that someone has told you, or you talked to someone, you met someone, where you felt, okay, what I'm doing is right. You know, this is something I'm supposed to be doing. This takes, this takes a lot of work, uh, a lot of effort, a lot of, a lot of, not time and not money. That's not what I'm talking about. It takes a lot of emotional capital. You know, listening to people and holding space for them, it's hard. It's not easy. You know, the things people have told me, heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And it takes, it takes time. It takes a while to even recover from it. You know, I've everything from, you know, a very close friend of mine had postpartum depression and had suicidal thoughts and I didn't know anything about it. And I've known this person for almost eight years, 10 years. Like, what world am I in? When did this happen? How? How? Right. You know, things like that to young women talking about how they're struggling with with anxiety and high levels of stress. And they finally work up the coverage and talk to their parents and their parents tell them, shh, don't, don't say these things out loud. Nobody will want to marry you. This is your child. This is your child. How, how did you even say this? Like there's things that my brain refuses to comprehend. How can you say something like this to your child who's coming to you? You know, Lord knows how much it took for them to come to you and say this after how much struggle and how much pain and you just brush them off? Listen. Your kid comes to you with a broken arm, what are you gonna do? It's okay, shh, it's okay. We don't want people to know you had a broken arm because then they'll think you're not human enough. No, you pick your child up, you jump in the car, you rush to the emergency and you take, why is this so polar? Why is this so different? So there have been many times throughout these last few years where I just, and I, and I told Latif, I'm like, I, I can't do this anymore. I just can't, it's just too, it's too much. And every time, without fail, <laughs> this is how I know God's got a plan. Every time, without fail, something happens. I get a random message or a call or, or, or somebody, something. And then all of a sudden, it validates what I've been putting all this effort into. I remember this, the first time this happened, literally, the, like the, within two days of me having this thought process, I'm like, okay, you know what? Maybe it's time to shut this down. It's just too much. It's just too much. It's just, just so much to do. It's just it's huge. It's huge. It's huge. The problem is just so huge. It's just I'm barely scratching at it. Like, 
am I even making an impact? Is it even worth my, all of this? Like, you know, these were the thoughts in my head. I got a message from a guy. I don't remember this guy. I don't remember his name. I don't remember his face. I never. I don't remember meeting him. Imagine. And this guy's message was like a, like about yay long, like three scrolly pages on my WhatsApp. And he goes, when I came to, he was an expat. He went, he's like, when I came to UAE, it was the worst time of my life. I was in severe depression. I didn't know what to do. I had thoughts of ending my life. And I came for one of your meetups. And it was just so nice to see that there's other people who are, you know, like, like me. And I'm not alone in this. And because of you and because of your organization, my perspective on life shifted. You know, I've, I've decided to I decided to educate myself more. I decided to apply for different jobs. I decided to, you know, upskill myself. And now I'm in a very happy place. And thank you to you. I, 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 I took a screenshot. I sent it to Latifa. And I was like, I can't stop crying because I don't know who this guy is. I don't remember him. So, you know, impacts that you make, you don't even realize. And every single time something has come up, uh, I remember as early as last year, I was like, you know what? This is getting too much. I don't think we can do this. And this is just about when I had started converting some of the older videos to podcast format before we started to record as podcast format. I, I and uh, ran into somebody, had a great concept of recording a six-part uh, series on, on adolescence and mental wellness and health. And I was like, you know what? Let's just record this last thing push it out there it's okay um and after and in my mind i'm like you know this will be the last thing and then i'll shut it down like this is just too much a friend um she, I, no she's not an old student she was a few years behind me in college right um she lives in saudi she's got kids who are early teens right now she listened to the entire series and she sent me a, you know, a couple of minutes long voice note. And in essence, what she said was that I have made sure to download these episodes in case they ever disappear. Because when my kids get to that age, I want to listen to this again so I'm able to be a better mother. And then I was like, damn, bro. <laughs> can't, get can't, quit. <laughs> can't get a break. Can't get a break. Can't quit. So it's just been one thing after the other. Every time I felt like this is something that's just too tough to do, I get a little ping and I get a little thing like, hey, you're making an impact. And this always, you know, these things always reflect back to advice that I got from my mom when I was, when I was little. And she, you know, and the same advice was why we started. And she says, she, she used to tell me, don't complain about something that's not being done. Get up and do it yourself. That's why we started without having any background in psychology or mental health. And then, and then, you know, another thing that she used to tell me as a kid was that whatever you do, even if it helps one person, it's enough. So we've had a lot of one persons over the years. It's, it's, it's a blessing. You mentioned that it was, it's obviously very emotionally draining what you're doing. How do you take care of yourself? What is, what is something you do for, your, for self-care, you know, that you enjoy other than this? This is interesting. I'm going to uh, <clears throat> put a plug here for a previous episode I recorded with Ray about healers and this is where we had a very interesting well we it was an interesting discussion over shisha and then we decided to put it into a podcast because there's a lot of healers out there so over the years i've realized that different people have different capacity to listen to absorb to assimilate um 
I realized I, I think I have a little bit more than the average, but it does come at a cost. You know, uh, just because I can I can bear more doesn't mean I don't feel it. You know, and just because I have a larger capacity doesn't mean it doesn't run out. So balance is key, and this is something I don't just talk about in this context, but in the context of life itself. You know, one of the terms I hate is work-life balance. Like, why did you separate work and life? You're, you're implying that life is life and work is counter to life. No, there's one life, everything is part of life, and everything in that should have a balance. If you have life with all the various components that are misbalanced, you got a problem. So I think the same applies. If I, you know, practice what you preach. Is if this is what I tell everybody, this is the same thing that I do. I try to find balance. So there are times where I feel like, hey man, it's just, I had, you know, I had to listen to um, somebody shared a, a while back. Uh, a young lady shared her story about um, physical assault. That was a tough one for me. That was very. T- it took me weeks. Like my mind would constantly think about it. It took me weeks, and I reached out to my friends, and I said, listen, man, I've got, like, my head is not in the right place. They're like, what happened? I'm like, you know, it's not, that's, what happened is not relevant. What happened is somebody else's story. That's not for me to share. But what's happening with me is that story was very heavy. And my friends are like, what, what can we do? What can we do? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how to solve this. I don't know how to fix this because my brain is always solved. Consulting and advising my whole life, it's literally my job is to fix and solve, right? I'm like, gosh, I don't know how to fix and solve it. One of my friends is like, you're not supposed to fix it and solve it. You're, let it. you're supposed to let it pass through, but you're holding it. I'm like, how do I let go? They're like, time will help with that. But in the meantime, don't sit and let it cook. What do I do? Come, I'll pick you up. A buddy of mine picked me up. We went out. We had a nice coffee, we chilled and relaxed. And you know, slowly, slowly, slowly things dissipated. But the idea was that in order to have balance, sometimes you need to step away and not constantly, constantly be in friction. So uh, balance is key. Balance is key, yeah. You're gonna do the same for me, right? If I, if I ever struggle or something? Um, if I'm free. If you're free. Yeah, I have the stuff to do, man. Yeah, okay, I see how it is. So, yeah, you've been fighting the good fight for a while now, but at times it's like a David versus Goliath kind of situation. You know, you're just throwing stones. So, do you think like the small moments, the small impact that we make, you know, that's that small thing that we did, you know, pass the water bottle to him, or you know, close that gap for him. Those small moments, how people perceive them. You think that's what the world needs more now? I think there's there's a couple of parts to that. The way I would, uh, the way I see, it and the way I would like to respond to that. I think the first thing, and uh, me and Latif always have great conversations about this, because it's not just me who kind of sometimes has has reached its end and is exhausted. She she has the same, and then we've had conversations like, are we even making a difference? Are we even doing it? And, and then and you'll hear me in a lot of my podcasts referring to my mom because I've always gotten brilliant advice from her growing up. And when one of the things that she used to say is, you, you need to do good without expectation, which is what we're all told. But the other thing that she used to add on to that is, you need to do good without expectation and, and being okay to not see its impact. 
and I, I never really understood the second part. You know, I can understand, hey, I'm going to do, do something good for this person, but I'm not going to expect anything in return. Okay, that part I got. What do you mean by not seeing? I don't, I don't get it. What do you mean? And then I remember many years later, because, you know, uh, over the years, I've always pinged back to my mom and said, Mom, you said this, but I understood it this way, but now I understand it this way. And she's like, yes, well, as you grow, you understand and have better perspective. I'm like, Mom, explain this to me. She goes, it's like a rock. I'm like, huh? Uh, the rock rock the Dwayne Johnson rock what rock are you talking about she goes no there's a, there's a lake of water it's very calm and you take a rock and you throw the rock in the middle of the lake I'm like okay she goes what happens I'm like uh, there'll be ripples she goes where do the ripples go I'm like they go out from the center she goes uh, and then what happens like the ripples get bigger or smaller I'm like they get smaller ah uh, but do they get wider or narrower? I'm like, oh, they get, they get wider. And she goes, can you always see them? I'm like, well, after some point, you can't see them. She goes, think of the good that you do as the ripples you can't see. You've thrown the rock. You saw some ripples. But there's ripples that you can't see because they got so far away from you that you can't see them. But it doesn't mean that they're not there. So do good without measure and, and do good without looking at the scope of it. So you are the favorite child, is that true? I'm always the favorite child. <laughs> We're two siblings, me and my younger sister. She's the spoiled child, I'm the favorite child. Or at least that's what I tell everybody. <laughs> that's what we saw on your Instagram. What we also saw was that you cook as well. Of course. And we also saw that there was supposed to be a brownie bake-off. Yes, sir. So we're waiting on the results <laughs> of that. Well, okay, so two things on that also. So the first part is... Um, when we talk about the stigmas that we have in our societies, we also have a lot of other bad things that we have learned. And, you know, for example, set gender roles. You know, the girl should cook and the guy should just, you know, boss. No, 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 no. Any person, male or female, who does not know how to cook for their own survival are an embarrassment to the human species. So if you have been left alone in the house for two weeks and all you can rely on is talabat, you are an embarrassment. Step up. I was thinking more instant noodles or eggs. Step, <laughs> gentlemen, step up. Step up. Yes. First thing. Second thing, real men know how to cook real food. Step up. We're still boys. <laughs> One more year. <laughs> One more year. Henceforth. Yes, <laughs> we have to learn now. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I have, a, I have a... Interestingly, a lot of people assume I have a passion for cooking. I, my passion is for eating. Eating good food. And in, in, in order for me to get the food that I want to eat, if I have to cook it, I will cook it. No problem. Can be done. So the brownie cook-off is with a very good friend of mine, an old student, Manesui. She graduated, I think, a year and a half, two years ago. She's working now. Um, she's vegan, and I am like the opposite. So you were gonna win regardless. I'm, right? I'm, an, I'm the opposite of opposite of vegan. By, you win by taste. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm carnivore. <laughs> so we always we always kind of have a little bit of tit for tat on this. It's, it's funny. So she was I don't know one day she was talking. About, oh, I made these lovely brownies. I'm like, how'd you make brownies? Brownie, yeah. <laughs> you didn't you didn't put eggs in it. You didn't put this. oh they're vegan brownies. I'm like, how can vegan brownies be good? And we had this huge debate. And then I was like, you know what? Enough is enough. I threw a challenge over the summer, and then we got busy. <laughs> so, so the challenge actually hasn't been executed yet. So maybe uh, in, a, in another couple of weeks, as soon as I can find a common time slot. 
But a very, very good and close friend of mine, Roman, he's the chief pastry chef uh, at the Obelix, and he's like award-winning pastry chef level guy, right? He is the top of the tops. So I roped him in to be the judge. <laughs> oh, I was just going to ask him to be judge. <laughs> so, no, no, you guys are welcome for sampling and everything. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we will be there. Roman, Roman. We don't Shaw. want the vegan one. Yeah. <laughs> We're just there for the normal brown. No, no. I, I'm, okay, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. This is just, this is just trash talk, right? <laughs> <clears throat> but I've actually eaten uh, brownies that she's made. They're really good. So you guys aren't gonna know which one. We'll do blind taste testing, and then we'll see if you can identify the vegan or, <clears throat> or the better one. <clears throat> Wait, so you? Think <laughs> <laughs> so you're pretty confident you'll win. I'm always confident I'll win. Yeah. <laughs> That's love. I mean, that is a good trade. Yeah. For the, for the love <laughs> of a good, good brownie. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that just goes after everything that Brownie stands for. <laughs> okay, now that we've you know you know gone on a lighthearted note, let's get back to mental health. You are going to be speaking for our welfare and equity committee at Project Unboxed on 14th October. How do you think mental health ties into welfare and equity? It's absolutely critical. I mean, how does it not tie in? So if we talk about uh, equity, right? Well, and I'll talk about both aspects. If we talk about equity. Everyone should have equal access to fundamentals of life, food, water, shelter, education, healthcare. And when we talk about healthcare, I'm not talking about just physical wellness, but mental wellness. Whenever we say healthcare, the default assumption is physical wellness. No, mental wellness is equal, if not more important. And if you start drilling down global data, you will, you will realize how big of an issue it is. So if we truly want to live in a world where we are equitable to all of its citizens, mental health and wellness is definitely in that list without question. You know, that's the first thing. Um, the other thing that you guys talked about was uh, welfare. So in, in order for, for you to be a... I'm going to simplify this a lot because that, that helps kind of drill it in. In order for you to be a functional human, your head needs to be in the right space. Otherwise, you're not a functional human. So welfare of an individual equals welfare of the society. Welfare of the society equals welfare of the individual. If we create individuals who have better mental health and wellness, they are better contributors to society. If we create a society that is a safe space and open communication, not stigmatized to discuss these sort of things, we would immediately see impact. Suicide rates have increased globally, year on year. It's embarrassing, you know. With the, the day and age that we live in, with the technology, with the industry where it is, with, with computational power of wherever it is, we can't provide enough well care to somebody to the point that they want to end their life. This is, this is an embarrassment to humankind, honestly. If you think about it, it's a failure, not embarrassment, it's a failure of humankind as a species that you have people who end their own lives. This is just, just my, again, one of the things my brain fails to comprehend. We're just sitting around doing nothing. And it's, it's critically important. Um, you know, and if we, if we bring this down into this, the school level, the high school level specifically, I think it's exquisitely unfair the amount of stress that these young people are put under. It's just not. Your, your minds are not ready to handle these levels of stress. And this is the age where your minds are still developing. And if you look into neuroplasticity and these sort of things, you'll realize that up to the age of 24, 25, your brain is still kind of 
like clayish informing. I'm sure my my uh, Nohez, our, our our neuropsychologist, who helps us with many things, and she, I've done a bunch of podcasts. She's yeah. gonna have like, oh, you said it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean, yes, right? You yes. know what I mean. I think it's absolutely critical. So I'm I'm looking forward to having conversations with everybody. You know, uh, I think a lot of conversations not only need to be had with the parents, as we discussed earlier today. I think a lot of conversations need to be had with school administrators. You spend more hours of your waking life with school, your friends at school, the teachers at school, than you do at home with your family. So if I look at it as an hour-by-hour exposure, this is a huge difference. It's scary to think that people who are just like us, who live the same lives, have got to a point where they don't consider themselves worthy to be in this world that's a very scary thought like their surroundings have robbed them of any joy to be found and it's even scarier that they think they can't find that joy again yes it is and and uh, I had a student about two-ish years ago Jude she has a startup called Stay Alive she started this while she was at high school she graduated and actually just started university a couple of weeks ago and you know it, it's an, it's awareness she, she literally started I was ha- very happy to support them I still support them to date and it was just about creating awareness that you know that's not the exit that's the wrong way there's solutions there's people to help you but when people get to that that, that place in their mind they are already isolated they're already alone they're, they're, they don't see any outlet. They don't see any help that they can get. And this is, I think, where all of us, again, going back to humanity, we need to step up. You know, so one of the things that I talk about, um, not everyone can become a psychologist and therapist overnight, and neither should you, you know, put yourself in that role. It's not your responsibility to fix the world, right, or fix somebody. But if we can get basic level of training, and you know, one of the courses that I certified in and that I recertified years later was mental health first aid. It's a two-day training. You're not going to be the expert in nothing. But you, what you do walk away with is the ability to recognize possible things that are like, hey, man, I'm looking at this person. Things are off. And if you're able to identify and see it, and rather than you freaking out and not knowing what to do, the course will tell you what you need to do, how you need to speak to this person, how you need to get them help. Because more often than not, if you talk to suicide survivors, they all tell you it's not that the, they didn't want to end their life. They just wanted to end the pain that they were in. So if we can remove the pain and suffering, this human stays with us. Uh, or we can help alleviate some of the pain and suffering. This human stays with us. So. In my mind, this is on us. I'm not going to expect a guy who's been hit by a truck to get up and go to the emergency room. I'm expecting everybody around when that accident happens to help out, to call an ambulance, to pick this person up or whatever. Somebody, this person is not going to get up and do it. So why am I expecting someone who is in such a devastating mental state to magically fix themselves? Yeah, Even in initiatives like Are You Okay? It's so important to, you know, promote these because these are the right steps forward to, you know, um, not fix our society per se, but at least help the people around us. I think everyone should know, you know, the are you okay steps so that, you know, at least 
if your friend is going through something or even even if it's your sibling you should know you know how to help them out you shouldn't feel helpless in these situations well i agree with you 100% and circles back to what i said earlier i feel like it's our responsibility it's our responsibility to see who is hurting to see who's struggling and it's then it's not my responsibility or our responsibility to fix it it's our, our responsibility to see it and help them get the help they need you know there's a big difference there because i've seen people put it on themselves to help somebody struggling i'm like no that's not your job your job is to help you're not a if this guy back to bro- broken arm if this guy has a broken arm are you going to be like oh i i will be the doctor and fix it no you'll take him to a doctor same thing take them to a mental health professional you know help them work it out and and this is where i think you know society needs to step up parents need to step up schools need to step up not just having a counselor that nobody wants to visit or having two counselors for a gazillion students or having the counselor visiting the counselor be a, like a shameful thing oh did you see that guy he went to the counselor oh, why 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 are you embarrassing somebody who's trying to get out do you embarrass somebody who goes to the hospital oh you got the flu you went to the hospital so embarrassing it sounds stupid i replaced the mental with the physical and it literally it sounds stupid So why do why do we have double standards on ourselves? It doesn't make sense. Especially when it's proven that these both correlate with each other. Like, yeah. So I it's a very confusing world, but thank you so much for joining us Mr. Ali. We we're going to hope for the same type of talk at Project Unbox on October 14th. We can't wait to have you and to our audience. Thank you for joining us today and we hope to see you in the next one. Fantastic. This was great guys. I really enjoyed it. Fantastic conversations. I'm really appreciative of young minds and young people making change and making impact. Um and and you know literally like I said earlier in our talk we target this particular age bracket because we feel it's the most impactful to to implement change at all levels and to create ripples within your schools, your friends, your societies, your your families, your extended families. You know it takes it takes one rebel to make a change. and you shouldn't have to be a rebel to make this change but if that's what you got to do then that's what you got to do so step up yes sir fantastic boys this was excellent thank you so much for having me thank, thank you, you so much